Well, welcome to Front Range. My name is Ernest Smith. I'm the lead pastor. We're so grateful that you guys are here, especially if you're in person. You braved this nasty weather that we've been having, it feels like, for like eight months. But we're all going to be happy when everything is green for like another week. Uh, and, uh, uh, or maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're like, man, I'm not getting out on that. We're grateful to have you as well. And our hope and prayer is that this become a home for you, a place where you can build community, discover your purpose, and grow in your faith in Jesus. Hey, I want to let you know about a couple things that are happening. Uh, one, uh, as Pastor Brandon just mentioned, we are taking uh, two trips, two mission trips. One today is going to Kenya. Uh, my daughter and I and 13 others will be heading out. Uh, for that trip, and then uh, tomorrow, uh, 13 other individuals will be heading toward uh, to uh, Costa Rica for another mission trip. And I just want to say thank you. Uh, it's because of your generosity that we've been able to to raise the funds that we have, and to be able to take these trips, and your prayers, and and all of that. And I would um, I would ask you to to continue to pray for us, uh, especially be praying for our, our Kenya team. Uh, we're, we work with that organization. Pastor Brandon just talked about Bread of Life. Uh, my wife and I, a couple others, started that organization uh, about 18 years ago. And uh, we have 14 missionaries on the ground. And one of those missionaries was murdered uh, two nights ago. Uh, so um, our whole community is uh, reeling and uh, trying to figure out uh, what we're to do. He had uh, six kids and he was raising his uh, sister who had passed away, her six kids as well. Um, so uh, it's a uh, tragedy uh, that has happened. And so we know that um, our mission trip is probably going to look very different than what we were planning on just a couple days ago. Uh, but just be praying for us that God would give us wisdom and discernment as we walk into a community that is mourning in some major ways and that God would just use us in a powerful way. And thank you again just for all that you guys have done to uh, allow our teams to be able to, to go. Um, and so today I'm really excited about this message. Uh, I had some great conversations with people after uh, last service. And uh, the way I kind of pre- prefaced it last service was that this is a little bit more cerebral message, um, kind of get us to thinking uh, a little bit bigger about the topic that we're going to be discussing over the next uh, couple months. Um, uh, I, I, we always usually um, give, uh, always usually, that didn't make sense. Uh, we typically try to give you action steps. Uh, today we'll have some action steps, of course, but uh, it's going to be a little bit more uh, cerebral, uh, get, getting us to think a little bit. I was, as I was writing this message, I was thinking about like how every generation thinks about um, uh, how certain things in their generation were the hardest. You know, like, man, this was so hard back in my day, you know, type thing. Or it's so hard now. And I think about different aspects of, like, how I grew up and then what's, uh, what's it like today. And I thought about, like, dating. Like, dating today would be so difficult for me. Like, I don't do technology very well. Like, I don't get technology. It's not friendly to me. It's not, you know, I'm, I'm not good with it anyway. If I had to date using technology, I would be single the rest of my life. You know, so I have no, I would have no clue how to do that. And I was thinking about how when, when I grew up dating, you, you had to, like, write everything down, right? Like, you didn't have, like, notes on your phone. I didn't even have a phone. I was such a baller. I had a beeper. Uh, you remember what those things, anybody remember a beeper? Yeah, good, 18 of us. Uh, the rest of you are like, what is that? And you're just too young uh, to know how cool I was having a beeper. Uh, and so everything had to be written down. Like if I, if I liked somebody, I'm like, hey, you want to go on a date? Check yes or no. Remember doing that? Anybody remember doing that right there? Yeah, so we, we, you have like, you had to write everything down. You had to write down your feelings and all of that. You had like these love letters. And so uh, about 10 years ago, when Sarah and I were packing up everything to move out here, uh, I opened up this box. It's this box, actually. And I opened it up, and I'm like, what in the world is all this stuff? And it's all these love letters that I had given to Sarah, like cards and, and letters and little things and whatnot. And so 
being the logical man that I am, I'm like, we just throw this away, right? And that wasn't her response at all. Uh, her response, she, she looked at me a little cross-eyed and, uh, and was like, well, that's your love for me. If you want to throw it in the trash, I'm like, cool, let's throw it in the trash. But now here it sits, and it's just taking up room in our garage. But this was a, this, these were all the love letters that I gave to her. And today, what we're going to be looking at as we're starting this new series, we're going to be looking at a love letter that God gave to you and I. Of course, Scripture as a whole, the Bible as a whole, is a love letter that God gave us. But there's a particular part of Scripture that I would say is a love letter to you and I, and that is the Ten Commandments. Now, I know it sounds a little weird and sounds a little strange. Like, you've probably never heard somebody say the Ten Commandments were God's love letter to you and I. So you got to stay with me here as, as we dive into that. When people think about the Ten Commandments, there's all kinds of thoughts. We're going to do a whole series on the Ten Commandments. Uh, and we're, over the next nine weeks, not ten, because we're going to combine two, uh, we're going to look at these Ten Commandments and how they apply to our lives and how they are God's love letter to you and to I. Uh, if you want any information about the, the Ten Commandments, you want to dive deeper into this topic, you can go to our message series hubs. Uh, you can go to the website or you can scan the QR code and you get all the information right there. There's all kinds of great videos and just things to dive deeper into God's word and understanding of what God has for us in this, in this series. Now, when people think of the Ten Commandments, typically uh, people think of uh, maybe a, a more conservative time that our, our country went through uh, where you would have like the Ten Commandments outside of a school or outside of a courthouse or something like that. Uh, I was in Asheville recently and there was actually a school there that still has the Ten Commandments outside of it. I'm like, man, y'all people live in the South for real, you know, like, so it's more conservative time frame. Uh, maybe you think about a God who is a dictator, uh, who only has a bunch of do's and don'ts for you and I to live by. Or maybe you think that the Ten Commandments are this ancient manuscript that doesn't really apply to Christianity today. I would say this. I would say that the Ten Commandments are not just God's love letter to you and I, but they're one of the most important uh, pieces of Scripture for you and I to digest and understand. And ultimately, it helps us to live out this relationship with God. We're actually told in the chapter prior to being introduced to the Ten Commandments what the Ten Commandments are for. We're actually told what they're for. That's in Exodus chapter 19. I'm going to read it for you. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. It's going to be on the screen. If you need a Bible, we'd love to get you one. If you want to brave the, the cold and the rain, then just stop by the, the blue tent. We'll give you one. We don't need any, anything from you. Uh, or you could download the Bible app. Uh, that, that, that'll help you as well. So uh, Exodus chapter 19, here's what it says. Starting in verse 3, then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So God says, hey, here's what I want you to speak to, to the entire nation. What I'm telling you and what I'm about to tell you is that, uh, I, that we need to have an understanding of what our relationship is. He has a DTR, define the relationship moment with Israel. He says, and I'm going to go first. To define our relationship, I've gone first in this relationship. I loved you first. And here's how I showed you that love. When you were slaves in Egypt, I rescued you from there. Remember, you were slaves. 
You were slaves for 400 years, and while you were slaves, you were, you were made to worship other gods. You were made to do things uh, with a, in a culture that you didn't, maybe didn't agree with or you didn't understand, but that's what you lived in, and now I've rescued you out. I've brought you into this desert land to, to reshape you, to establish you into the people that I created you to be. I've gone first. And I've gone first. Now I need you to reciprocate because this is a covenant. He says it's a covenant that you and I are making. That word covenant in the Hebrew is berith. And berith is, a, is, a, is an oath that you're establishing. It's a binding oath, a pledge, an alliance. It's saying that two people are agreeing upon something and they're not going to break that thing. It's really hard for us to understand because in today's society, you can break an oath. You can break a pledge. You say, hey, I'm going to give this, this money to this thing. And then if something happens in your circumstances or something happens in, in the way that you think about things or whatever, you're like, ah, I can't give that anymore. And so we break oaths and stuff like that a lot. But a covenant is something that you're not supposed to break. It's the same word, same sentiment that's used for marriage, right? This binding thing that you're not supposed to, to break. I remember when Sarah and I, when, uh, when I, I first said, hey, I want to, I want to, say I love her. Like I, it was about a year, we were a little over a year into our relationship, which seems strange for some people. But at that point, I'm like, I don't want to say I love you until I feel like I can live 1 Corinthians 13. And so I just prayed a lot and finally I got to a place where I'm like, oh, I'm going to say I love you. And so I remember where I was. I was coming back from a mission trip and uh, she met me at the gate. Remember when you could do that? Remember the old school time where you could like actually be at the gate when somebody came back? Uh, and so she was at the gate waiting for me and I was so excited. I walked up to her and I said, hey, babe, I love you. And she said, thank you. <laughs> I was like, hold on. I don't think you understood what I said. <laughs> so I said, I'm like, okay, maybe, she didn't, maybe her ears are clogged, even though she didn't fly. Like, let me, let me kind of repeat this. I, what I said was, I love you. Thanks. I'm like, wait, what, what's going on? Eventually, she did fall in love with me. And, uh, and I remember when I asked her to marry me, she said yes quickly, which was uh, praise God. You know, I prayed a lot about that one. Uh, and then we're there on our wedding day, and, the, and the, the officiant is standing there, and he's like, hey, okay, so you've got some vows to say to one another. And one of those vows is, I love you, you know, in sickness and in health. And I'm like, well, hold on. I can love in health, but in sickness? Why are you trying to restrict me? Like, if she gets really sick, I don't know if I want to love her, right? Okay, here's another one. Love until death do us part. Uh, but what if something else better comes along? Like, what, like, I don't know why you're trying to restrict me in this relationship. Like, why are you trying to put boundaries? That's what a covenant does. I didn't actually say any of that, okay, by the way. <laughs> but that's what a covenant does. A covenant says, hey, there's going to be some boundaries. There's going to be some restrictions that we have on this thing. And the reason there's boundaries and restrictions on a covenant is because it allows you to give freely and to receive freely. Meaning that if you're in a covenant relationship with somebody and in this situation with God, then you can be free to love fully. And you can know that no matter what happens, that that's not going to go away. No matter what you do, God's not going to deny you. No matter what you do, God's not going to walk away from you. No matter what you do, God's not going to break an oath with you. Because this covenant is binding between the two of us. This is the Ten Commandments. This is what God's saying. And my prayer, especially throughout this series, is, is going to be, God, help us to understand how important these Ten Commandments are. That they're not some ancient 
words that God spoke to you and I. They're not something that just symbolize a more conservative past. But these are words spoken to you that are is God's love and God's oath and God's commitment to an eye. To say it a different way, the commandments are based on a covenant relationship and point to God's love. The commandments are based on a covenant relationship with God and point to his love. This is God saying, hey, I, I'm going first. I've rescued you Israelites out of Egypt. I loved you so much that I brought you out And he's saying to you and I, I love you so much that I brought you out of slavery to sin. That what Jesus did on the cross wasn't just fire insurance for us. It wasn't like a hall pass to get out of hell, you know, or anything like that. It was God going, I'm creating a covenant relationship with you. I love you so much that I'm going first in this relationship. And I'm going to show you how much I love you. The the, the important piece of uh, of the Ten Commandments is understanding that if you don't get those first four those four, the first four of, the, of the, the commandments, and I think we have a picture of the ten so you can kind of see them. The first four are really about understanding your relationship with God. It's about understanding who he is and, 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 and getting this, uh, this depth of, okay, this is God and this is what God calls me to. And then once you get those first four, then you can live out the next six, which is how we're not just to receive God's great love, but now we're to display that great love to others. And the first commandment is the most important. You can't live out the other nine without living out the first one. The first commandment is the most important out of the ten because it controls all the other ones. What's the first commandment? Look at Exodus chapter 20, starting verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Let me remind you, I went first. I'm the one who went first. I loved you so much that I brought you out of that slavery. For the Israelites, it was to Egypt. For us, it's to sin. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. There it is. The first and most important commandment. Did it destroy it? No, it didn't. Praise God for kids' toys. (laughs) The most important, commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. This is the most important commandment because it dictates your ability to let out the other nine. I mean, it's the exclusivity clause. It's like there's no, to be no competing loyalties in your life. That God is to be first and foremost above everything that you do. God is to be above my spouse, yes. God is to be above my kids, yes. God is to be above my career, yes. God is to be above the Nuggets winning the championship, yes. God is to be above it all, meaning that God has his throne, and nothing is to take the place of his throne. Nothing is to take him off and put, we're not to put anything else up there to worship that thing or to put that thing at the forefront. But what does it mean? Like, what does that mean that God is above everything else? I mean, does that mean that I've got to spend more time with God than I do with my kids and my my wife? If that's the case, I'm never going to sleep. It doesn't mean that, that if I'm going to watch the Nuggets game tonight, I'm going to watch them beat the Heat tonight. Somebody said, oh, you're jinxing us. No, I'm not. I'm a prophet, okay? I'm just calling it forth right now in Jesus' name. But if you're going to watch the game tonight, does that mean you've got to read the Bible for like three hours, just a little bit longer than the game's going to last so that you can then watch the game? I don't think so. Does that mean you can never go on vacation, you can never have like a guy's night out or girl's night out or anything like that, and you've got to give all your money to the church? 
I don't think that's what it means. So what does it mean to put God first? I mean, what does it mean to make him the priority, to keep him on the throne where he belongs? Here's what it means. It means to treat no other person, place, or thing in your life like God by looking to them as your source. I'm going to repeat that. It means to treat no other person, place, or thing in your life like God by looking to them as your source. And here's what I mean. Who do you rely on to bring you happiness in your life? Do you rely on somebody else? Do you rely on your spouse? Do you rely on your kids? Who do you rely on to bring you happiness or to bring you joy? Or when you, when you need purpose in your life, when you're longing for purpose, do you look to your kids or your career to give that purpose? Or do you look to God? Like, are you longing for, for purpose to be found in something else? Like, I, I've met people who are like, well, man, I finally have purpose because I have kids now. Oh, man, uh, if I can just get this promotion at work, if I can just get this job, then I'll have purpose. What are you looking to fill the needs in your life, where are you looking for that? Are you looking in a person? Are you looking in a, at a particular thing? Are you looking for an experience? That if I could just have this experience, then I'll be filled up, then I'll have everything that I need? If your kids or your spouse or your career or whatever it may be is what you look for in, in finding what you need, you're going to be very disappointed. You're going to be longing for more. And I can hear the objections, Ernest. Are you saying that I need to put God above my family? I mean, doesn't that speak against the Bible? Not according to this passage and so many others. So what does it mean to look to God as the source? The other day I was having a conversation with my daughter. She's 11. And somehow, like, it feels like once a week at least, if not more, we get to the conversation of marriage. I'm like, I, like, I rarely, if ever, have this conversation with my son. So it must be like a female thing, like, Start thinking about it like day one, you know, like, oh, when I get married. So we just like, we're, starting, we're having this conversation, and I don't even remember what we were talking about with it. And I said, well, Waverly, here's, here's what I need you to know. Like, if you want to have a happy marriage, you've got to find somebody that loves God way more than they love you. Now, that seems anti-cultural. That's against what we've all been taught, especially what a little girl's been taught. She goes, Huh? Like, is this another one of my, like, my pastor dad sayings? Like, like what, what, what are you talking about, dad? What do you mean? I said, let me explain it for you. Everybody has needs. And if you marry somebody that understands that their needs are met by God and God alone, then they don't look to you to get their needs met. Because if they look to you to get their needs met, they're going to be disappointed at some point. You're going to disappoint them. You're not going to be able to show up in the way that they need. You're not going to be able to provide what they need or whatever. At some point, they're going to disappoint you or you're going to disappoint them. But if you marry a guy that he loves God above everything else, then he's found everything he needs in a relationship with God. And if he finds everything he needs in a relationship with God, then he's free to love you well. He's free not to look to you to fill something that, that, that you can't fill. Right, it's like this, this little toy thing. Let me grab these things right here. It's like this toy. Like you've, we've all seen this thing, right? Like, and it's the, what culture teaches us. Like, okay, here's a square hole. Like anything should be able to fit into the square hole. Like whatever you need, you need joy in your life. You need happiness in life. You need purpose in life. Whatever it is, just find something and put it in there. 
and it should work. It should be okay. It's kind of like this video I saw. Take a look at this. This is a square. Can you guess which spot that goes the in? The square. That's right. It goes in the square hole. Yes. Okay. And how about this rectangle? That one? Also the square. That goes in there, too. Yeah. Up next, we've got this thin rectangle. The thin rectangle. Can you guess where that goes? The thin rectangle. That's right. It goes in the square hole. And up next, a cylinder. Hmm. The circle. I think that goes in the circle. The square hole. Now, we've also got this semicircle right here. Do you see a slot that would fit the, the semicircle? Semicircle? The, sem the semicircle. That's right. It's the square hole. Okay. Up next, the triangle. We know what hole that goes the into, triangle. right? Triangle. That's right. The square hole. And up la up next, we have the arch. The arch. The arch. And you guessed it. The arch. It goes in the square oh, hole. God. <laughs> oh, the problem with that, well, there's a lot of problems with that video. The problem with that video is it really teaches what our culture teaches us without us under, understanding it or knowing it. And it's that whatever you need, just grab it, bring it into your life, and it should fill the hole. It should fill the void. Just work harder, do more, get this thing, get that thing, achieve this, whatever it may be. The problem is in life, that's not the way it is. The way God's designed you and created you is that the square hole only gets the square peg. You can't put the triangle in there any way that you try. It's impossible because that's not how God designed it. And so when you and I, when we're when looking at people to fill a need, when we're looking you know, for experiences or at our job or certain items, if we could just have this thing, then then. I'll be happy or I'll feel purposeful or whatever, we will always, always be disappointed. It's not because your spouse isn't capable of loving you well. It's not because people are evil. It's not because you shouldn't enjoy nice things or any of that. It's because if those things become your source, then we've removed God from his throne and we put that thing in his place we'll always be disappointed. There's so many times where, especially like in marriage counseling, where this comes up so often, where it's like you're looking for your spouse to provide you something that only God can. And so many times it's, it's easier, at least for me, maybe not for you, it's easier for me to tell my wife to change something than it is for me to change something. It's easier for me to like say, you need to do something differently rather than me going, God, maybe I'm not finding what I need in you right now. Maybe like that's where I need to work on, what I need to focus on. And this is true in marriage, in any relationship, with your kids, in your job. This is true in any area of our lives. If you look to anybody else, anything else, any experience as your source, you'll always be disappointed. So the question I want you to ask is, is there a source? I mean, is there an area of your life where God isn't the source? If you're anything like me, then there's some areas where you're like, man, yeah, God is like, man, he's right in his right place in this area of my life. Like maybe because you had, he has to be. Like you deeply need him to be 
whatever it is in that area of your life. And so you're like, God's on the throne there. But then maybe there's another area of your life where like you're really good at what you do. You're really good at your job or maybe you're really good at parenting or maybe you think if I just try harder, if I just do more and all of that, then I'll be able to get past this. I'll be able to raise these good kids. I'll be able to do these certain things or whatever it is. And you can recognize that God's not my source in that area of my life. I was talking with a guy after last service and he said the conviction for him was that the source in his life, what he was looking to, to provide happiness and purpose and all of that wasn't his spouse and it wasn't his kids and it wasn't his work, or it, it was himself. He'd been able to do so many good things in life that he had just created this mentality that he's in charge and it's about him he's good enough or he's strong enough or he's got the capability or whatever it may be to do what he wants to do and he became his own source is there an area of your life where God is not the source maybe it's in relationships again do you look for certain people to bring you happiness or to bring you joy to bring you contentment the things that man obviously like you want your spouse to be able to bring you some happiness but if that's your source of happiness then at some point they're gonna fail you. Obviously, like you want your spouse to be able to bring or your kids to be able to bring you joy, but if you have kids, you know at some point they're gonna fail you in that one. So in your relationships, who's your source? What about with your family? Is there a need in your family right now? A need with your kids or Maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's something else where you're going, I I need God to show up. Are you going to him as the source? Or are you going, you know what, let's just work harder. Let's just do more, let's just try harder. And if we just do these things, then maybe this will be the result. Or is your first place you're turning is to him. Put no other gods before. Not even your own strength and your own ability, your own wisdom. Run to him. And maybe he'll tell you to do some of the things you were already thinking anyways, but run to him first as your source. And what about in your finances? Do you seek God's guidance in your finances or are you more controlled by fear or what you want to see happen? Like if God were to call you to do something financially today, like Pastor Brandon gave us an opportunity to buy some Bibles for some people in another place, another area of the world. You get that opportunity and we go, well, are we controlled by fear? Like I don't have enough to be able to do that. Or are we controlled by, well, that's not part of my, my budgeting right now. Or are we going, well, God, do you want me to? And God may say, no. God may say, no, I do want you to. But do we look to him as our source? Like he's actually the provider of all that we need. Is there an area of your life where God is not the source that you're running to? Put no other gods before me. The rest of the Ten Commandments, you can't do them if this one's out of whack, right? Like if, if you believe like, okay, God is supposed to be in his proper place, but he's not in your life, then it leads to adultery. It leads to lying. It leads to coveting. It leads to murder. It leads to all these other things. Like the guys that killed my friend in, in Africa, like I've been praying a lot for them this weekend. Like God changed their hearts. 
Like it's easy to like pray justice over them and God come and smite them and all of that. But the reality of where these individuals are, and I don't know who they are, but the reality of where they are is that God is not the source of their life. And so they're longing for something else that only God can provide. And it leads to tragedy. But no other God's before me. If you do that one well in every area of your life, every area, then you'll be able to live out the other nine. You'll be able to fulfill this covenant with us and God. That God said, hey, I, I went first. I love you no matter what. I love you no matter what you've done, what you're going to do. I'm not walking away. But our ability to live in that covenant, our perspective is to say, God, I'll put you first above every person, everything, every experience. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that these Ten Commandments are not a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's not a list to try to control our behavior. It's a covenant. It's a love letter from you to us. And God, you already said, I I'm going first. I love you so much that I'm going to rescue you from slavery. For the Israelites, it's from Egyptian slavery. For us, it's slavery of sin. You loved us so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. That that's where it all begins. And God, you took the first steps for us. We didn't deserve it. You gave it to us anyways. To renew us, to change us, to establish us, to being your holy priesthood, your people. And so, Father, I pray that even as we listen to this message and we look into your word, God, as there were so many people last service, sure, there's so many of us in here that if we're being real honest, we could say, you know what? There is an area in my life where God's not the source. That I've been looking for somebody else. I've been looking for, to my job. I've been looking to money. I've been looking to these other, myself, whatever, these other things that, to try to bring me happiness, bring me peace. If you're in a place where you're willing to just say, man, that's me, and I need to put God back up on his throne. With every head bowed and eyes closed, one of the ways that we try to give that opportunity here is just being real honest, and that honesty stems from admitting where we are and just going, yep, that's, that's me. So if that's you, if you'd say, you know, there's an area of my life where God has not been the source that I've been looking to. But you want to take that thing down and you want to put God in his proper place. I just want you to raise a hand. I want to know who to pray for this moment. Amen. So many. Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for each individual. Father, thank you for that you know their name. You know their story. You know what's happening in their personal life and in their family, at their workplace, their friendships. Know where it's so easy for me to put busyness or work ahead of you. So, Father, I pray that you would bring forgiveness to us. God, we confess the sins to you now. That we put something else in your place. We thank you that you are a just and forgiving God, that you will, you do forgive us right now as we confess that. We ask, Father, that you would bring healing. You would help us to lift that thing 
take, take that thing down off and lift you up to your proper place. And may we find that you are the source of everything we need. In Jesus' name.